Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Are you a list maker? Do you make lists? What's on your list today? How do you uh, remind yourself of things that you don't want to forget? I I am a list maker. I will confess it. Um, I like to make a list. I like to check things off the list. Um, I am Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. It is the 6th of November, 2023. Um, Are you a list maker? You can always share with me uh, thoughts you're having, things you want to share. Maybe even your list for the day at 877-933-2488. Eight four. Good morning to all of you already checking in on the text line this morning. Love hearing from you. What did you do with your extra hour? Mm-hmm. Did you make good use of your extra hour? Uh, it's possible that I slept during my extra hour, but I did feel like I had an extra hour yesterday morning. Maybe you're already feeling like you have an extra hour today. It was way easier to get up this morning, right? All right. On the topic of list making. I had a friend um, when I lived on Hilton Head uh, a number of years ago. I had a friend who had these like pre-printed daily to-do lists, you know, like a thing that it had a magnet on the back of it. It stuck on a refrigerator. That's why I am aware of it. Um, And so printed right at the top was number one and it was already filled in for every day. Does that make sense? So she had this like pad of paper pre-printed with a magnet on the back. It was on her refrigerator and at the top of the list every day was pre-printed number one. Like number one was already every day this one thing. And it said, cause God joy. That was her number one. Everything else was going to be secondary to that every single day. And she she was a list maker. So she made a list every day. Uh, and But it always started with what was already pre-printed at the top of the page. Cause God joy. So what brings God joy? What brings joy to God? What pleases God? And then what would our lives look like if that was at the top of our to-do list every single day? Our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. And it has caused God joy or bring pleasure to God at the top of the to-do list. So here goes, Hebrews 13, 16. Don't forget, doesn't that sound like, Doesn't that sound like a list, like a to-do list? Okay, don't forget to do good. Don't forget to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Don't forget to do good. Don't forget to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So what pleases God? Doing good, sharing with those in need. These are things that certainly please God. Uh, My reflecting on that this morning brought Mike Cook to mind. Mike was a math teacher at um, Rabin Gap Nacoochee School when I served in in Rabin Gap, Georgia. And his wife, uh, Sandy, also taught uh, at the school and ran the bookstore. 
love them. I just love them. Shout out this morning to Mike and Sandy Cook or anybody who knows and loves them. Um, precious, precious family. Sandy was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, this is many, many years ago, and God has restored her physically um, multiple times. And I'm so grateful for that. They changed nearly everything about how they lived when she was first diagnosed. Um, and I remember when Mike affixed this homemade sign above his classroom door. And so anytime that you would walk out of Mike's math classroom, you would you would walk out into the world under this sign that simply said, don't forget the joy. Don't forget the joy. So maybe you need that at the top of your list today. Don't forget the joy. Maybe at the top of your list, you need cause God joy. Um, and then maybe you just need to be reminded that the top of God's list every day is singing over you. <laughs> maybe that's what you need to remember this morning and not forget that it pleases God to sing over you today. He loves you. His eye is on you. He's waiting for you right now. So yes, uh, from this Hebrews 13 verse, don't forget to do good. Don't forget to share with those in need. Don't forget the goodness of God. Don't forget the power of Christ's resurrection. Don't forget the joy. We're going to turn our attention to the headline news of the day, and we're going to seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear. Um, and there is, there is certainly challenging news out there. The Israel-Hamas war is, as of today, right, one month old. So it was on October the 7th that um, Hamas militants crossed the border into Israel and attacked Jewish people and Jewish communities. Many people, some 230, still held hostage somewhere in Gaza, by Hamas. Um, Israel striking back with deadly force. Um, And yes, Israel uh, has taken responsibility for striking an ambulance outside of the Gaza City Hospital on Friday. Uh, Israel claims it was transporting um, terrorists. Palestinian authorities said... um, the, the 15 people killed in the strike were non-combatants. Um, and Hamas has said that in response, it will block foreign nationals. That would include the some 300 Americans still in Gaza. Hamas would block foreign nationals from evacuating until Israel can guarantee uh, all ambulances safe passage to Egypt's Rafah border crossing. Um, the Rafah crossing closed again over the weekend. Some 300 Americans, by the way, have been, um, have passed through the Rafa Gate uh, into Egypt over the, over the last week. Um, terrible things are happening. Uh, there were some 450 strikes last night, um, and, and war is hell, as we have discussed before. And so we want to continue to pray. We want to continue to press in. We want to continue to imagine um, a possible peace while we as Christians um, stand um, along the side of people who do not believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord, who do not possess the peace of Christ, and who are not subject to him as the Prince of Peace in their lives. And so we have to remember that. There is a religious um, current to what is happening and there are 
not Christians on either side of this in terms of the warring factions. And that is essential to remember um, in the midst of all of this. If I mean, without Jesus, there is not going to be peace. And we fool ourselves if we imagine otherwise. You can, you can say peace, peace, but without Jesus, there will be no ultimate peace. And so, again, uh, as Christians, the, the main calling, the most significant thing that we have uh, as people of, of Jesus is the Great Commission, that we would go and we would make disciples of all nations, of all nations, of people of all nationalities, of every ethnos, of every bloodline, that we would be the Jesus people in the midst of all of it. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about maps. What what map are you looking at? And as you map out um, what is happening in the Middle East, like what map are you using? What map are you leaning toward? What map are you relying on? All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Thanks to all of you joining me on the text line this morning. Good morning to a friend in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut. I feel like I should apologize on behalf of all of the state of Tennessee uh, for the routing of the Connecticut football team on Saturday. I'll just go ahead and leave that there. Uh, Carrie in Barrie, Ontario says, good morning. Good morning to you as well. Mary says that on her list, she needs to finish her mail-in ballot. Washington State is all mail-in and then go and drop it off. Yeah, it's a good reminder. Um, there's a, there's some voting taking place in some places this week. So other places, not so much. That off-year thing. Uh, let's see. Jessica says, um, fond memories. Um, fond memories of intentional planning and uh, coming up with things that fit on a fit on a list when folks come to visit. So thank you so much for that. Um, and then uh, folks who are asking for prayers this morning. So yes, absolutely for um, for the friend texting in um, about concern for kids and caring for kids and being able to continue to provide for them. Absolutely, you are one hundred percent in our fr- in our prayers and um, ask that you would you would not fear. And that God would bring forth the resources necessary all the way around, relational and otherwise, to, um, to provide for those specific needs. Thanks so much for sharing those. I want to talk about maps here for a moment. The person that makes the map uh, controls a lot, right? Like who loads that map into, uh, into your GPS? That person has a lot of control. You've heard the stories of people that have, you know, <laughs> driv- driven into a river or driven uh, you know, driven through a fence onto an active um, runway at an airport because that's where their GPS told them to drive. And so they just kept driving, not not using any good sense in the midst of any of it. Um, maps matter. Um, the maps that we're following, the maps that we ro- rely on to help us find our way from one place to another. And so when a map is changed and it, it's intentional, like somebody is doing that on purpose. So people who access the Internet in China... Just imagine that for a moment. People who access the internet in China. Yeah, that's a lot of folks, right? So if you access the internet in China, you are going to encounter maps that no longer, no longer include the name Israel for a country in the Middle East. Let me repeat that. If you are accessing the internet in China, you now see maps online that no longer include the name Israel for a country 
in the Middle East. The lead, this is the Wall Street Journal reporting, the leading online digital maps from Baidu and Alibaba. Um, uh, I'm scanning ahead here. Um, giving, uh, making these changes generally, Baidu's Chinese language online maps demarcate the internationally recognized borders of Israel as well as the Palestinian territories plus key cities, but they do not identify the country of Israel by name. And you might say to yourself, well, that's because it's so small. Yes, except that um, the, the nation of Luxembourg, which is like tiny, is clearly marked and you can read its name. So um, those changes are also produced, uh, reproduced on Alibaba's what's called AMAP. And so when you want to think about wiping Israel off the map, you might start with the uh, cartographers, the people who draw the maps, the people who write the names on the maps, the people who update the maps. But it's not just um, it's it's not just China that thinks that remaking the map is a good idea. China, by the way, wants to remake the map of Asia as well. Russia, by the way, wants to remake the map of uh, of Eastern Europe. I mean, there are people out there who want to remake the maps. And so who is it really? Because it's not first China that wants to remake the map related to Israel. Right. So who is it? Well, wiping Israel off the map is I mean, like literally they're not being a state of Israel. Like wiping it off the map is an openly stated goal of Iran and its proxies, including Hamas and Hezbollah and the Houthis in Yemen, all three of which are now openly engaged in the current war against Israel. So we have senior Hamas officials over the weekend calling for the annihilation of Israel, committed to the repeating of the October 7th um, attacks, quote, again and again, quote, Israel is a country that has no place in our land, says the senior Hamas official, Foreign Minister Ghazi Hamad. We must remove that country. That's what he said. Um, And even though uh, his comments draw immediate condemnation, um, they persist. They continue to repeat them. Um, And so maps matter. Map makers matter. And when we think about Iran desiring Israel to be wiped off the map, and we think of China wanting to remake the map of Asia, and we think of Russia desiring to remake the map um, of Eastern Europe, I guess I would just encourage you to consider who made the map that you're looking at and who makes the maps. And... um, I think that's a that's a good question for us to consider. I mean, certainly when you consider the map of your own community, your own city, your own state, the country in which you live and the borders of it, it has not always, like, right, it has not always looked like that. Jim and I had occasion to uh, go to Western Canada um, this summer, and we walked through a museum, and there were these maps that, looked very, very different than the maps that um, you and I would see today. Territories named things very different than the states in, the, in what we would call the United States today. Um, and one of the maps uh, was showing the parts of what we would call North America, the parts of North, North America that were covered with um, uh, herds of bison, like, those don't exist anymore, Like right? The buffalo don't roam freely like they used to. Uh, and so the maps have changed, and 
the people that win the wars get to make the maps. And I think that that is worth remembering as we consider the war that is raging today. The people who win the war get to make the map. That is, after all, how the modern state of Israel made its way back onto the map in 1948. Following World War II, nobody wanted the Jews. Nobody, including the United States, nobody wanted the Jews. And so, by an act of the United Nations, the current state of Israel was mapped out, carved out. And so the, those who won the war got to make the map. The problem is those who won the war and made the map did not sufficiently provide for the people they moved off of those lands. And that would be the Palestinians. And so um, the map makers matter. And those who want to remake the maps today in the Middle East, those who want to remake the maps today in Asia, those who want to remake the maps um, in, uh, in Eastern Europe, yeah, they want to do so through war. And we better be sober to that. All right, we're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, um, while we're on the subject, um, we're going to talk about a major change taking place in Indonesia in relationship to, well, what you call Christmas. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, this is Carmen from the Mornings with Carmen show. Who's your pastor? This is Pastor Appreciation Month. And so I want you to think about who is your pastor or who are your pastors? Who shepherds your heart? Who gives you wise and faithful counsel? Who comes alongside to encourage you as you walk difficult stretches of the road? Who opens the word of God to you in ways that actually help you live into the character and ways of God? Who are your pastors? Do they know it? It's possible you have lots of answers to this question, that maybe there is somebody who's preaching or teaching you listen to regularly. They shape your scripture engagement, but they don't know it. I'm encouraging you to tell them. Whoever it is that comes to mind when I say, who is your pastor? I want you to reach out to them this month. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. So encourage those who pastor you. Oh, and if you are a pastor, thank you. Bless you. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Yeah, pretty much I wish you a Merry Christmas, right? Uh, I don't wish you a Merry Birth of Isa al-Messiah. Uh-huh. So there you go. So that is what this is about. I um, And yes, it is not too early. Is it too early to listen to Christmas music, Paul Perot? <laughs> I was going to declare it's not too early. Let me just put it this way. My wife <laughs> likes her uh, likes her iTunes, and she has it go ran- going random. We hear Christmas music all year round. So That's good. That's good. Yeah. Jesus all the time. Jesus, Jesus all, all the, the time. time. There you go. So um, while we're on the subject of people, you know, changing maps, let's talk uh, here for a moment about, by population, the largest Muslim country in the world— Um, changing some language in relationship to Christian holidays, including Christmas. Now, this is um, this is very curious to me. It's very interesting. There's lots of layers to this to this topic and conversation. So in Indonesia, the Indonesian government has like legally like the legal language has changed. They're going to stop using the Arabic term for Jesus Christ, Isa al-Masai, and begin referring to Christian holidays um, and Christian terms using the Bahasa term, uh, Jesus Christus. So that sounds pretty familiar, right? Jesus Christus. So the change is going to alter the names of three national holidays 
So, you know, changing, not just changing maps here, changing the calendar, like what it says on there. So what do you call the day upon which Jesus died? What do you call that particular Friday? Well, you call it Good Friday. Well, um, in uh, in Indonesia, it has uh, legally been called the death of Isa al-Masai. Well, no longer, right? Now it's going to be called uh, the death of Jesus Christus, which sounds like Jesus Christ, right? Okay, so Isa al-Masai, Jesus the Messiah, by the way, um, but in Arabic. So Isa, Jesus in Arabic, as opposed to Jesus, uh, Jesus um, in, uh, in, in the Bahasa language. So there you go. This is what we're talking about. So the ascension of Jesus, um, we would call Easter, right? That's his resurrection from the dead. That's going to legally be changed. And then birth of Jesus, you know, Christmas, the, the name of that holiday changes as well. So you say, why does this matter? Well, because names matter and what we say uh, matters and how Jesus is spoken of matters. Christmas matters. We wouldn't have a big, we wouldn't have such a big kerfluffle every year here in the United States of America about Jesus or about people not calling Christmas Christmas. Um, what, what is it, Paul, that people are substituting for Christmas? They don't say Merry Christmas. They say what? Happy Holidays? Happy Holidays, Xmas. People get all exercised about yeah. these things. So here you go. So what is happening in, uh, in Indonesia in relationship to what we call Christmas or what we call Easter? And why does it matter? Well, you have to remember that this is a overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly majority uh, Muslim country or Muslim majority country. However, um, Indonesia is not um, a Muslim country, like officially, like legally, right? It is a place where Muslims and Christians and others live in in open community with one another. And so... Um, so why would this matter? Well, so 10% of the population in Indonesia, 10% is Christian. So there's, you know, one in every 10 people in Indonesia is a Christian, some 29 million believers, many of them very evangelical. And they would very much like to share Jesus with their Muslim neighbors. Um, in Indonesia, there is a law uh, formerly, this has been changed. Actually, Malaysia is where this emerges from, um, where there was a ban, like if you were not Muslim, then you could not refer to God as Allah. And so here's the here's the concern that some people have, that this is an effort by some to limit the ways in which Jesus is referred to. And so if you are not Muslim, can you now, under this change of language, still refer to Jesus as Esau? Mm-hmm. Why does that matter? Well, because it's, it, it helps as a gateway to deeper conversations if I can refer to Jesus in your language. And so if you are used to, as a Muslim, referring to Jesus as Esau, then I want to be able to refer to Jesus as Esau. I don't want to be limited by this, uh, this new language law um, where we are going to stop using the Arabic term for Jesus, Esau, and we are going to start using the Bahasa term, Jesus Christus, Jesus Christ. Because that is just automatically offensive to um, a practicing Muslim. So there you go. That's what's going on. Thought you'd like to know. Um, interesting, uh, I- interesting ways in which we use 
language. We use maps to control the conversation of the day, um, to get people talking about certain things or to keep them from talking about certain things. And so let me just say this. Call on Jesus today. Call him by name. Make his name famous. What do you like to call Jesus? Do you have a favorite name or title of Jesus? Um, Do you just love using uh, the language of Job and call Jesus Redeemer? Do you echo uh, God's declaration over Jesus that, that he is my beloved son? Maybe you love calling upon Jesus as Isaiah did, the Prince of Peace. Maybe from the Gospel of John uh, or, or, or the Revelation of John. Um, maybe you like to call on Jesus as Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last, the living one. Maybe the fact that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, speaks to your heart today. Or Jesus as the mediator, the one who stands between and communicates um, our concerns to God and God's concerns to us. Maybe like John, you call upon Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Maybe um, the Word is the name of Jesus, the, the title of Jesus that most speaks to your heart. Come to him, the fountain of living waters. Come to him, the one who is the rock. Come to the one who is the true vine, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the bright and morning star, the great I am. Jesus as the son of man, the son of God, the way, the truth, the life, the bread of life, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the chief cornerstone, Christ, the Lord. Maybe today, you need to be reminded that Jesus is the good shepherd and that he loves you, that he came to seek and to save the lost and that he would leave the 99 to go and seek you out and bring you home to the Father. And maybe today you need to be reminded that Jesus is the bridegroom. And you, dear one, (laughs) Regardless of any other relationship you ever had or have had or have lost, um, he is your bridegroom this day. So many names. Just call on him today. All right, next up, we're going to share a conversation with our friend Jay Warner Wallace, um, author of Cold Case Christianity. It's updated and expanded, and that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All righty. Well, if you are um, a fan of Christian apologetics, then Jay Warner Wallace needs no introduction. If you've never heard his name, you're um, you're in for a real treat. Uh, Cold Case Christianity is a resource that he developed some time ago, but we now have an updated and expanded version of Cold Case Christianity. So, Jay Warner Wallace, Jay Warner Wallace, welcome back to uh, Mornings with Carmen to talk about um, to talk about not only this project but coldcasechristianity.com. Well, I appreciate you having me. I'm excited to talk about it. This has been a, a long time coming for us. It was 10 years ago that we actually wrote the first version of that book. And really? Yeah. So this is our 10th anniversary edition. So so I can't believe 10 years went by that fast, but it did. So, I mean, you really are a criminal investigator and you come to the questions of the New Testament, its veracity and the claims that it makes and you you come with your skills and your strategies, um, and you apply those, and that is really what what you bring forward to us um, in this work. 
Yeah, you know, people ask you all the time. It's just it's so common, right? Within the Christian world, people will say, "Well, sh- share your story with me. How did you become a mm. Christian?" They want your personal testimony, which I, I get. Uh, but for me, my personal testimony was was this investigation of the script. I actually wondered. I thought, doesn't everyone who becomes a Christian don't they do the same kind of thing? And, and it wasn't only you know, no, no. In fact, yeah, no. It, 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 in fact, it's you're right. It's, it's it's everyone has a different experience. But I think we all. Cameron, we all have a high view of evidence. Here's what I mean. If you said, well, tell me your story, you'd say, well, I, I, you know, had my life was going along the way it was. And then I experienced this thing that I interpreted as having to be from God. And most of us, when we, you know, share how we became a Christian, we'll point to something that's evidential. In other words, I, I prayed for this and it had, I saw this miraculous healing. I had this miraculous change in my life. In other words, you're pointing to something. And saying that was evidence to me that Christianity was true. All of us have a pretty high regard for evidence. The only question I have is, well, what do you think qualifies as evidence? Because the truth is that you know everyone's got an experience they can point to. If you're a Muslim, you may have an experience you can point to. If you're a Mormon, if you're a Buddhist, I mean, the experience itself does not make it true. I knew for me, I needed to know from an X's and O's perspective, did the resurrection really occur? That Because, you know, I could... You, 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 I, you know, my my Mormon friends believe the resurrection occurred. Doesn't make Mormon. I needed to know: is Christianity true, objectively true? Because if it is, it eliminates a lot of other stories about God, a lot of other notions about God. And then, so I just needed to know. And so, for me, the only skill set I had was the skill set you would apply to solving cases. And most of that was, you know, just, um, you know, just typical. You know, how do you know a witness is telling you the truth? How do I know these gospel authors are telling me the truth? So I simply applied the skill set I had. I know that, and that includes like a conversation about the the chain of custody. It includes, um, I love the part about hanging on every word, really examining the choice and meaning of words. Mm-hmm. So you do, um, in Cold Case Christianity, um, you really lay out for us the approach that you took um, and the approach that a detective would take in um in examining any kind of case before them. So, um, so uh, first of all, if if you guys don't know, like he's a real detective, like an actual homicide detective. So can you just share a little bit with folks about that? You tell so many stories in the book that grow out of your lived experience. And so if you like a really good detective story, this is one. Well, yeah, this is, and and I suspect that if if I was an orthodontist, my stories would have come out of my orthodontal practice, right? I mean, it's not. Yes, but not as many of us want to be orthodontists as want to be detectives. (laughs) Well, that's true. And I think, to be honest, all of us are detectives. We Mm. just apply it to different things. When when your teenage kids come home and tell you some story, Mm. you suddenly Mm -hmm. turn into detective mode, right? We all do Mm -hmm. this. We all want to know, are the words that I'm hearing right now true? And and where where's the tell? Where where what's the little thing that's being said here that gives me a better a bigger insight into something else that's not being said? So a lot of that process I applied to to my cold cases over the years, and that's really most of what we did because you know you have this uh, set of interviews that was done back in 1980, and I'm reading those interviews and I'm looking for the deception indicators. I'm looking at the, at the transcripts and asking myself the question: Why would he say it that way? Mm. And does it give anything? And does it give anything away? 
So a lot of what I did with scripture when I first opened the Bible is, and I didn't, I was 35 years old when I came to this. So I, I opened it up and I started to examine it. And that's what I try to do in the book is to teach people like, what are the, what's the process by which you, you, you become a detective and, and what are those skills that are transferable and, and how could you transfer them? Not just even for scripture. I mean, I think that this is, this is just wisdom, right? I mean, it's like, how do you think clearly about making proper inferences from evidence? And we all have to do that every day. If you've got something, you know, a mechanic does this when he's examining your car and trying to figure out what that sound is. Like, this is a skill set that could be cross-applied to anything. What I was shocked by is that no one seemed to apply it to their, their theistic beliefs, their beliefs about God. It's like we can apply this a, a view to everything, but when it comes to God, we suddenly it's faith alone. <laughs> well, what is what does that mean? What did it mean mm -hmm. to Jesus? And Jesus would tell you that if you don't believe what I'm telling you, at least believe on the evidence of the miracles I worked in front of you. That was Jesus. He he would say, Come and touch me. I'm going to give you the evidence that what I said is true. I'm going to appear to you for 40 days after the resurrection, giving you many convincing proofs, it says in Acts 1. This is all about direct and indirect evidence and how we use this to make a case. And Jesus was an excellent evidentialist. It's so good. Um, let's Let's unpack this part. What does it mean to move from belief that to belief in? Well, okay, so you can you can believe that something is true, yet not mm -hmm. trust it for much. You know, you you I, I illustrated in the book by showing how we, I had a case one time where that officer involved shooting, where the officer was caught with his um un, un, just kind of caught with his his hand uh, away from his gun. The guy turned on him, uh, pointed a gun at the officer. The officer was oh, about a half a second behind. And he knew he was going to have to do something. Do I try to rush this guy? Do I duck? Do I run? What do I do? But he was wearing his bulletproof vest. And he had seen that vest stop rounds in the in the range, stop bullets. So he decided just to trust his vest. Just, to, just I'll just tense my stomach muscles, take the first couple of rounds and try to return fire. And and that, that moment in, is as a signal to change for him, a, a belief that the vest could do its job to a belief in the vest to do its job tonight. And that that difference from belief that it's kind of like I can believe that the plane can get me to Chicago, but when I get in the plane, I'm trusting in the plane to get me to Chicago, and and so you could believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That doesn't make you a Christian. They're you know the, the demons believe and and mm -hmm. that they're not Christians. Mm -hmm. So so how do you get to that second stage? I always say that for me, it it came to once I tested the Gospels to see that they were telling me the truth about Jesus. I began to read the New Testament to see what it said, not about Jesus, but what it said about me. Mm -hmm. And that so shift good. moved me from belief that something was true about Jesus to belief in Jesus as Savior. That's a very different kind of move. And and it's it's critical. In other words, if you don't believe that you're in need of a Savior, then finding the Savior is not going to make much sense to you. Mm -hmm. But once exactly you know it. your need for a Savior, you can connect the dot to the Savior you've already discovered. It's so good. Jay Warner Wallace uh, is the author of Cold case Christianity. We have an updated and expanded version. You can also check it out and tons of great resources at coldcasechristianity.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge, host of Mornings with Carmen. Time together as people of faith is so important, and together we can make a positive impact. So Faith Radio is ready to hit the road. Would your community be a good fit for a Faith Radio live event full of encouragement and togetherness that we can spur each other on toward love and good deeds? 
Nominate your community for a live Faith Radio event at MyFaithRadio.com, and I hope to get to see you soon. Continuing our conversation now with Jay Warner Wallace, you can find him and these resources we're talking about today, including the updated and expanded version of Cold Case Christianity at coldcasechristianity.com. Um, so let's dive in a little bit into the process. Um, this A huge portion of the book is learning to be a detective, where you just walk us through the skill sets um, and I just, I mean, I just like where it starts. Don't be a know-it-all, uh, resisting the influence of dangerous presuppositions. Talk with us about um, this from from the, you know, the viewpoint of the detective, because I might walk into a situation and I might think I know who the players are and what's going on, but I have to set all of that aside and actually take the the real evidence into account. Yeah, absolutely. If you've ever seen the, the comedian Jim Gaffigan talk about Dateline, I've been on Dateline a, a ton. And 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 if you if you do see look at Dateline, Gaffigan always says it, it seems like they all everything's about spousal murder. Like it, it sounds like every marriage ends in a in a in a murder at some point. You know, they start off with the perfect marriage, and then at the end, somebody's getting killed. And so there's a sense in which, yeah, when you work homicides in which a woman has been killed, we do often. I mean, a lot of times it's the husband. Or it's it's a boyfriend, or it's the live in what it's it's a, a romantic relationship, and that happens so often that it's tempting just to kind of say, okay, here we go again. But if you assume you know who the killer is before you start to actually look at the evidence, you might spend a lot of time misreading the evidence, number one, mm-hmm. or ignoring significant evidence that points to a better rem- inference. So you can't begin by thinking you know it's going to be the husband. Even though in the end, often, you know, I'll start off by saying it to my partners, no, we can't start that way. We got to we got to be uh, more open minded, more open handed with this. Well, in the end, it ends up being the husband. And they're like, I told you so. Like, OK, <laughs> I get that. But we can't start there. We have to start with an uh, don't be a know it all. Well, th- this is really true when it comes to thinking about things related to God, because we are mm-hmm. what keeps us from God often is our own desire to be God. It's our own desire to 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 live our life without any hindrance, where I get to make every decision. Uh, those kinds of things prevent you from seeing the truth often. You can't like start off, for example, rejecting anything supernatural if you're beginning an investigation to see if there is something supernatural called God. You have to at least suspend your uh, presupposition against the supernatural to examine whether or not the supernatural is true. So I think part of it for me, I was a very committed naturalist. I mean, if, you, if you're going to include a miracle on the pages of the New Testament, you were not doing history. In my view, you were doing mythology. So, you, it, But that's because I had a presuppositional bias against anything outside of what could be caused by space, time, matter, physics, and chemistry. So the first part of the investigation for me is actually in a book called God's Crime Scene, where I looked at, do I have any good reason to believe there is something active in the universe outside of space, time, matter, physics, and chemistry? Because if there is, then these little small potato miracles in the New Testament shouldn't hang me up. If there's a being, for example, that can create everything from nothing in the universe, just blink it into existence... I'm guessing he could enter into his creation and do whatever he wants. And so that means walking on water and rising. That's all small potato stuff. If there's a being out there that could create everything from nothing. So so a lot of the case I made for myself is I had to kind of dispel myself of my bias 
against the supernatural. It, is there any good reason to believe that there is a supernatural God outside of space, time, and matter? If there is, now it's a matter of figuring out, well, which description is correct. That's basically it. That's so good. We're talking with Jay Warner Wallace. If you are um, just tuning in, the book is Cold Case Christianity. We've got an updated and expanded edition from Jay. Um, and coldcasechristianity.com is the website. Um, so let's let's jump to um, the conversation about the Bible and actually you know, like trusting the eyewitness reports, maybe just hone in on the part where we respect the chain of custody. Well, look, part of it is that my suspicion um, was that the story of Jesus may have have some accuracy, like some the stuff in there. This is, again, my bias against the supernatural. I might have accepted all the preaching of Jesus without accepting the miracles. And, and my first explanation for that was, okay, well, perhaps these are just things that were added later, like a late legend. There's lots of ca- characters who actually lived in history, but the version we now talk about is not the real version of that character. How do we know if the story of Jesus was changed over time? Well, a lot of this is also true in criminal trials. If you've ever watched a making of a murderer, one of the first claims of that series on Netflix was that the police uh, tampered with the evidence that was in property. They basically could take something out of property after it's been collected and modify it in some way. So by the time we get to trial, that's not actually legitimate evidence anymore. It's been modified. So how do we make sure that doesn't happen in criminal trials is we simply ask the question, who first saw it? Did he take a picture of it? Did he describe it in a report? Who did he give it to? Did they take a picture of it? Did they describe it in a report? And we keep on doing that through time over the 30 years this case has gone cold to see if the story changed over time. This is called the chain of custody because each report or image in that history of images and reports is like a link in a chain that connects the past to the present. And so this is what we offer to the defense. Here's our chain of custody. We can show the jury that it hasn't changed and it's been handled with great uh, delicacy. Well, is there a significant chain of custody for the New Testament? It turns out there is. And if you check the earliest links in the chain, if you look at the students who sat at the feet of John, Polycarp, Papias, and and Ignatius, and you ask them, what is Jesus like? You're going to discover that all of the supernatural elements to the Jesus story are there from the very beginning. Now, you may not believe them, but you cannot argue that they were added over time because they exist. uh, They come out of the lips and on the pages of every writer in the entire chain of custody. John's students, he they affirm what John said. The students of John's students, Irenaeus, he refers what Ign- he he affirms what Ignatius and Polycarp says. Hippolytus, the student of Irenaeus, he affirms what Irenaeus said. So so you're not going to be able to say that this is that's one thing I can say with certainty that the story of Jesus has not changed over time. Okay, I want people to know about the um the course, the free case makers course at coldcasechristianity.com. Um oh, so gosh, can you I know, is that is I, it possible for do you no, to share I'm anything so glad about you that? Said, yeah, I'm so glad you okay. said. I mean, I just this is something that I really wanted to make sure that we got out there quickly for people. Um, I did a course at, uh, I'm a a professor at Gateway Seminary here in Southern California, and that's where I went to seminary as well after I became a believer. 
And, and so we offer this 30 session video course. And I just made that course available for anyone who purchases the new book. So you'll see on our website at coldcasechristianity.com at the top banner that that course is available. And what that does is walk you through the case for truth to the case for God's existence, to the case for the resurrection, for the reliability of scripture, even for the impact of Jesus. It's 30, about 10 and a half hours of video content with a complete a PDF file course that goes along with it. You can do it at your own pace. And here's my thinking on this. Um, look, I, we don't have forever. And and I I came to this this role as a as an apologist after I was a detective. I look, I'm an old guy now. So for me, it's not about. There's no. I'm not trying to get to a future ambitiously. I I'm thinking about how do we help the church take another step when they desperately need to at a time when the culture is very aggressive and pretty hostile toward Christianity and growing in that direction. And none of us want to spend a bunch of money on a course or can necessarily go to a course that is not on our own schedule. What can I offer for free that would move the ball? Well, this is what does it, I think. This moves the ball. And you can get this for free. There's a bunch of others, a 410-slide PowerPoint presentation that goes along. Just, <laughs> I know, I mean, it's just huge. go to that the website. The whole thing is and, huge. It's just so great. So I wanted people to be aware of that um, because this is how you can access the free course by going to coldcasechristianity.com um, and and clicking on, um, you can click on the video and watch the first one, but you'll see all the resources there. And then the um, when you click on the little tab of how to get it, you'll see you'll see how all of that works. So That's right. um, yep. I I wanted to let folks know that and say thank you to you in advance because it's that's just really that's a great resource. Well, and I feel like this is one of those things times where it we're in a thank you economy, right? Like, like mm, nobody yeah. can afford. To, it's right. just such no, a tight right. economy. If we don't yeah, make things free, okay. they just aren't going to get done. So I'd rather things get done than get paid. <laughs> let's yeah. let's, no, I, let's get I this get, done. I get it. You know? I get it. Hey, thank you for helping us get it done. Thank you for um, circling back around and giving us an updated and expanded version of Cold Case Christianity that's just so contemporary. And um, thank you for all the stories that you tell and the way that you approach the conversation and for equipping us um, for the days in which we live. Thank you so much for having me, Carmen. It's been such a joy over the years to be able to sit on your show. So I appreciate it. Yeah, it's just always a delight. That's Jay Warner Wallace. You can connect with him and the resources we talked about today at coldcasechristianity.com. I love the chain of custody part of the conversation. When you think of the chain of custody, I want you to think about um, the Bible that you have access to today. So uh, I'm I'm hoping it's a physical Bible because I'm a, you know, I'm a, paper Bible person where you can take notes in the margins and underline things and go back to your marginal notes year after year and pass your thoughts along to others you love. Um, But the the chain of custody, that Bible that you have, that you have access to, your Bible, um, that Bible comes to you through an almost, it's almost impossible to describe the chain of custody that the word has passed through the hands of over the course of time from its original writers. But how precious is that? And then I want you to think about your legacy. So there's a there's your heritage, the the people who passed the faith on to you, and then there is your spiritual leg- legacy. So to whom are you going to pass on the word of God? To whom will you pass it on to today? Is your Are your words today going to be seasoned with the word of God? Are you going to be passing along to others as of first importance that which has been passed on to you? 
Are you going to greet people in the name of Jesus? Are people going to walk away from conversations with you um, having um, new, new ideas, new questions, new hope in, in God? Because you have been a person, not just of your word, but a person of the word. What will it look like for you to have a spiritual legacy that in the chain of custody, so the gospel's been entrusted to you and to me, and it's our responsibility to pass it on to others in the same form, without adding or adding to it, without taking anything away, in this chain of custody, century over century, year over year, relationship over relationship, person to person, as the gospel has been transmitted from the first recipients to today. So think of the guys who stood there, men and women, actually, who received the Great Commission and how they were faithful stewards of the gospel in the chain of custody. And then how you and I would be found faithful stewards in that chain of custody today. Pretty cool, right? (laughs) Pretty cool to the ends of the earth. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We got another hour together next. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.